Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Fleeting Thoughts, an altered TCG podcast, part of the Main Deck podcast family. I'm Dan. And I'm Jordan. And today we're going to be talking about uh, a couple different features of the game, but we're going to primarily center our discussion around the unique rarity system that Alter provides and how that might be uh, the implications it has and the impact it'll have on players overall. Yeah, players, I think collectors too, to some degree. That's been an interesting topic. I definitely want to talk a little bit about um, the collecting angle. We've had some interesting feedback on some of our previous podcasts too. So we'll definitely be digging into some of that. It should be kind of fun to chat about it because Altered is a very, this is a very different set structure than like any other TCG on the market today or that we're really familiar with. So um, before we jump into that, Jordan, Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year to you as well. It's been forever. I I haven't talked to you since 2023. (laughs) Yeah, classic. (laughs) Yeah, not since 2023. Not since uh, the literally the very the previous video we posted here as we're recording this, uh, doing the end of year podcast, um, which was a ton of fun. Uh, And congratulations to Altered TCG for taking two awards in our inaugural award ceremony, and that's thanks in part, Jordan, to of course you. Your votes on uh, on both of those for sure. <laughs> um, so we invite viewers to go watch our award ceremony if you want to see that. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna like completely be coy though. The, the uh, awards that it won were the biggest surprise of the year and the most anticipated TCG of 2024. Um, had honestly very stiff competition for the most anticipated TCG. Felt that one was quite close. Um, and uh, biggest surprise, I mean, there were a number of things that were surprising, but none were quite as surprising to us as Altered. So that was a that was kind of an easy win. Um, mm-hmm. You do any you do any celebrating for New Year's, Jordan? Honestly, we didn't do much. We just kind of stayed home and chilled. Um, our parents were here for Christmas and they didn't leave till like the Friday before the New Year's celebration. So we kind of just chilled at home. Uh, didn't do too much. So. Yeah, I feel that we um, I think actually we were watching uh, Scott Pilgrim takes off. Is that what it's called? The the anime and Netflix? I think so. It's on our to watch list. We haven't got around to it because we're finishing up a couple other shows. But yeah, uh, it's I, I know we want to watch it. It's good. I mean, it's um, it is it's just like the other Scott Pilgrims. It's a it's a TV MA just because I know Alter's a little more of a, a kind of like, you know, everyone welcome sort of table. I do want to mention it is TVMA, so don't like pop that on with your kids. And and uh, there's going to be some references uh, that they maybe don't want to have. Um, but just from someone who has enjoyed the, I think I have the graphic novels on my shelf right over here, um, and uh, enjoyed the movie, of course. Um, it's a different story. It's not the same story. So I was really, we were really surprised. You get to the end of episode one, you'll be like, oh, that. That's not what was supposed to happen there. <laughs> so that's exciting then, because I, I thought it was just going to be like another retelling. But knowing that it's something different, that no, makes me more enticed. It's cool, actually. Like it, it's I've, I think it's really clever. So really, really awesome. And just so cool to have the, the original cast of the movie back in, because like I feel like everyone's voices in that are just spot on. It's so good. Hell Michael Sarah yeah. um, still doesn't sound like he's aged a day in his in his entire <laughs> life. I, I don't know how he does it. <laughs> Um, uh, something that you might be interested in watching and probably the viewers at home as well as if you haven't uh pokemon concierge we watched that too oh that was yeah, we so haven't seen good. it yet but we 
it's the it's the next thing after we finish our current show. So it is four. It's four small. 15 minute stop motion animation, like all like physical stop motion animated, like not not CGI for the characters moving. It's like I watched a little recording of them, like of them recording it. It's like intense. And uh, there's so much heart. It's so it's so adorable. I did. I got a little teary at the end of the fourth episode. It's just it's really it's so it's so very feel good. It's super good about about um, knowing who you are, taking a chance to relax, um, being, you know, like being being OK with yourself, like all that kind of stuff is so it's it's great. Huge recommendation oh. Two Netflix recommendations for everyone to check out kind of completely unrelated to altered. But uh, <laughs> I like them. Uh, speaking of the new year, though, and altered. So new year, new road shows. That's kind of the new yep. thing going on. Um, Sadly, there's none close to new new ones close to me. Every time they have the announcement on Twitter, they're like, hey, we got new road show days. I'm like, I mean, I need to see. Is there one nearby? I'm hoping that you guys get one because then I can go to two. Um, I have I have an LGS who's who's like just just like we, we have several LGSs in our area. Um, I'm close with I'm close, really close with two of them. One of them. We don't talk about that one, <laughs> but the other two I'm very close with. Um, and the other one. So we, we've been talking to J-Dubs, one of our sponsors for a little while. Uh, they sponsor our leagues and everything. Um, and uh, I don't know what happened. I thought they were reaching out to get a roadshow and then they they didn't. Maybe they just I don't I don't know what's going on. But the point is, the other one reached out to me um, and he said, hey, I really want to get in on Altered. What do I do? I said, contact your Asmodee rep. Uh, they'll ask for a roadshow. And he said, great. I have a really good relationship with her Asmodee rep. Um, so exciting. I, I'm hoping that means something. I don't know. But yeah, I'd love to get one. Our area could use it. Canada also. We're very near Canada. Uh, if you couldn't tell by our accents. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, we're, so we're very near Canada. But Canada is they're They're working on getting distribution channel updated. So there can be more roadshows in Canada. Um, but we're quite close to it. So anyone in like the Winnipeg area would be able to swing down. I'm, I'm in Fargo, North Dakota, uh, which is the ultimate way to hear my accent. Fargo, North Dakota. If you, if you <laughs> couldn't tell now. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be great for people in, in, I think some areas of Canada as well to have an option if they wanted to swing down. It's, you know, it's a few hour drive from there to be able to get to one. So I hope we get at it. That'd be sick. Yeah. That'd be fantastic. Uh, with these new road shows this year too, there will be different promos. So actually, this is the first time I can hold these up too. So these were the these were the 2023 promos, and I can now freely hold these up with the QR codes because I have finally taken the time to put them in my collection on the app. Um, and uh, these ones, I guess they decided the 2023 ones are just for 2023, and now they're no longer available. So there's a new set of six hero cards that you'll be able to um, acquire. And uh, if, you, if you can attend a roadshow, basically, and, and get those in your collection too, these full art promo cards. So yeah. um, I'm a definitely. little saddened by it because I really, there's a couple from set one that I still really wanted to get. Uh, I know. Uh, the two that I got are just kind of like, the, I like those factions. I got the Muna and the Bravos one, and they're cool, but my two favorite ones are, um, my brain stopped working, Axiom and Lyra. Uh, sure. And I, could not get a hold of those, and I was really hoping that I'd get a hold of them, but looks like it's going to be the the silver road for me to try to get those. <laughs> well, so here's you know here's the interesting thing. So I totally agree with 
with well i i agree and i and i get it as well because like i i like the idea of making these road shows kind of destination events like you do want to make it to this because that's that's how you can get the promo because it helps pump up like the numbers it's it's I, you have to think, I think, a little bit from the LGS perspective because the LGS is going to take the time to put this on their schedule, care about it, run it. Like some of that stuff sounds like it should be no brainer, but like there are so many ways that so many ways an LGS could be committing their time to make money that like taking a chance on an unproven game um, and saying, it's a okay, wildly, you know what? Wild West style of everything. Yeah, yeah, much. exactly. Especially with just what Alter is doing and, and and going, you know what? You can have the you can have our event area on the Saturday. We'll have some staff who are going to do whatever. And, you know, getting that does require them to get something back from it. You, they want to get, you want to get people into the store. And also you just, you, you want the event to not be like, uh, well, you know, like three people showed up. You you want more people to be there because the more people congregate in that area and they see, oh, wow, people are excited about this game in this area. Look at all these people who already like want to learn how to play the LGS season and goes, oh, great, people are interested. So now that means I'm going to order in product because I can clearly sell it. So like, it's important to make these events ones that people really do want to go out of their way to go to and having an enticing promo is part of that. But on the flip side, I mean, yeah, like I want, like I want them, <laughs> but I'm, I'm hoping, uh, I don't think they will. Cause I think we even asked that back in Gen Con, but, uh, with the Kickstarter, they said there'll probably be some special promos, but they're going to be like, they won't be the, the roadshow promos yeah, cause they I wanted those be... to be specifically for the road shows and nothing else. So my yep. guess is just a guess. There's three heroes for each color. They have the 2023, which is one set, the 2024, which is another. And my guess is the Kickstarter will be the last set of heroes will be the Kickstarter exclusive ones. I was I was going to actually say that, too. I think that's a reasonable speculation because 2025, they should already move, be moving on to set two or whatever. Um, yeah, the game will be out in full release. So like there won't be as big of a need for road shows as you will, because there'll be, you know, starter decks and demo decks for people to play with and all that jazz. Right. And hopefully so, there'll be communities hopefully. and tournaments going on that'll round people in. And Oh, yeah, there will. Yeah, 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 for sure. For sure. We know there will be here because that's yeah, it's once you play this game like you, you get it. You'll you're be like, in. <laughs> you're you're in. You're in. That's that's how we've always felt. That's how all of our, our demos have gone as well. So make sure you make it out to your LGS. If anyone, if your LGSs are holding a road trip, if you can get any near to you, you want to get those 2024 promos. Um, one thing that's in, been an interesting development in the promo space recently is we did get um, a mention on the Altered Discord. By the way, if you want to know where some of this information comes from, you just hang out in the Altered Discord. The link should be down in the description of the video too. Um, the devs, there's like the, not just the devs, like the entire Equinox staff is basically in there and you get comments all the time from like, this person's does lore. This person does design. This person's the marketing guy, this per you know, like you get a bunch of people just like pop, popping in and chatting all the time about random things. So fun, fun little tidbits from them all the time. Um, I think they decided now, uh, that the promos, there was a big debate about whether or not you would be able to print on demand the promos that you own. Um, and I believe they've decided that you will be able to do that. Um, which means that if you really, really like having a full art Navenka and Blotch or something, the Lyra hero, and you weren't able to get the 2023 promo, you should be able to at least for, I, I, 
I don't know if it would matter really for a tournament. It's the same card, but like at least for casual play, I just can't, I can't speak to the tournament decision, but at least for casual play, you should be able to find someone who has one and say, Hey, I'll, you know, I would like a copy and work some kind of deal out or something. So you can have, you can have one. It won't be, it won't be just, this is not the only copy of this in existence. Um, yeah, and I know, um, I'm not sure that maybe you know more updated, but I know they were talking about potentially having like a uh, like limited print on demand on the, the special promos mm. like that. So like you can still print on demand, but it has a limit per year that you can print that car. Sure. That, uh, that so could like if be. you're the owner, you have printing rights for like, you know, X amount of times per year. They're like, for an example, they're like two or three. That wasn't like a hard number that they're agreed on. Remember, this is just, stuff that they said is in the works but they mentioned that they might think about the idea of just having like the owner can print so many times a year and then once that those tickets are up then you can't print any more copies until the year ticks over and they also said because someone you know followed up with hey well what if i print them all and then sell it to someone else the printing rights are attached to the card itself and they are publicly displayed so if you were like if i wanted to sell you dan you would be able to see before you buy you bought it how many times I printed this year to know if you can even print it right away. And then, you know, that will obviously change the price. Like if you try to sell a card that has zero out of three for the year, obviously you're going to have to sell at a lower price than, you know, someone who's next to you who still has three out of three prints per year. Now, um, yeah, that's that's something I've heard. I like I heard a little bit of like potential chatter, but I think it was a while back about that. I I don't know. Um, I don't know off the top of my head, and usually what we get on on our, especially on on this podcast, because of how nebulous the information is, we often get people in the comments who will pop down there. Sometimes people from Equinox's team pop down and just, you know, gently correct us, make sure that our our information is spot on, which I super super appreciate every time. So if anyone has very confirmed, locked in information on whether that's the case or not, um, definitely pop that in the comments. Would really appreciate that. But if that is the case fascinating um it's a fascinating idea because i mean i I like that i like that creating sort of a a still maintaining some amount of that scarcity while allowing people to have the the functions that are important for um that make the altered system so unique and and powerful the ability to just oh i lost my deck i'll print a new one you know that kind of thing Mm -hmm. um interesting thing about that though is that that (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that sort of creates a really weird like value generation to having promos like this where, okay, yeah. let's say I can print five promos, five copies of this promo per year. Well, that means every year I can just have five printed and then toss them on eBay. And, and like, yeah. it's, it'll just generate a little bit of money for me or something. If I, if I want to, if I'm just confident, I'm not going to lose it or whatever. Um, and yeah, like you said, like the whole buying and selling aspect is really interesting. Like uh, there, there are a lot of like MMOs. MMOs are always like an, an interesting just comparison point for that digital ownership system. But um, they'll have uh, they'll have certain items or whatever that um, need to be uh, untransmogged, un, un, unidentified, unlike whatever. There's like something you can do to the item and um, undedicated is when I remember for Guild Wars 1, um, you like undedicated minis. So like, you could have a market, you'd have a market for like unprinted promos and empty promos for the year or whatever. And like the value would be different if you were selling one versus the other for sure. Um, it just it's that's fascinating. That's another example of just the 
the wild west of this game. Um, yeah, we'll see. It reminds me kind of like a mini stocks. You'll print the ones for your own use, and then you'll be like, "I'm waiting the year." Kind of like how you with stocks, you'll wait the year for the yeah. uh, l- like long long term gains. Tax. Yeah, yeah. Instead, so you're like, "Oh, I'm just waiting <laughs> for the year for these uh the prints to refresh." Then I'll then I'll list it because I can get an extra then you can sell it at the max it. value. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. You're right. That's that's actually a a very funny comparison as well. Um, okay, but anyway, I just wanted to talk a little bit about the roadshow stuff because I don't think we've talked about it too much, and I think some people are are going to get a little bit of their news uh, about altered from us as well as we're still, as far as I'm aware, the only English language or maybe the only podcast in general for altered. So, um, we come on, you guys. I know someone out there listening wants to put themselves out there and try talking about it. You should start. It'd be, you'd have so much fun. If you think it sounds fun, you'd have fun. It's a good time. Um, but for now we're, we're, I guess we're your news source. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) make sure to check your 2024 roadshows and Jordan, what is happening at the end of this month? There's something big happening. I can't remember at the end of January. We finally get a big info bomb. And actually before that, I think they made a post. I think it's the 19th. There's going to be an information drop that they're keeping mysterious. But there's also at the end of the month, the Kickstarter will kick off, which should have a ton of information in it that we can dive into and get all the juicy details. And of course, that's when we will drop all our bank accounts into into the empty starter <laughs> empty them out we're done i'm, I'm ready <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's that's yeah i'm very 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 pumped for that obviously um we will definitely have a big episode after the kickstarter launches uh because well our oh, yeah. episode should come out um actually about a week after the kickstarter launches so it should be kind of interesting just looking at we'll get to see that first week of how how it performs hey you know what's going on and we'll be able to talk about everything and the updates and stuff and um and it's just going to be a super exciting time. Um, the week after the Kickstarter, too, we're probably going to have a very, very cool topic. Oh, yes. Yeah, there will be a lot to talk about. We'll have a lot to talk about. There's so much oh. coming. But for now, um, I think it's it's probably about time to move on to our main topic. Before we do, as usual, and I'm trying to make this faster and faster as we go, as usual, I have... Uh, two things to mention to you guys just about supporting main deck. If you do enjoy this podcast, if you enjoy listening to us, if you have a great time, um, there are two ways that I like to promote that you can support us, which I really greatly appreciate any and everything that you like to do for us. But one of them is of course on YouTube, like comment, subscribe, do all that stuff. And if you're listening on any of the podcast apps, we're everywhere now. I've, I've been looking everywhere on like every, if you got a podcast app, you can find us on there as well as the other main deck family of podcasts. Um, but Go ahead and follow on there. Listen to us on your favorite platform. If they have a rating system, I've seen a few ratings, by the way. Thank you. If you if you went out and rated us on iTunes or Spotify or whatever, I've seen those five-star ratings. I really did, and I really, really appreciate it. I have no idea who did it. I can't tell, but I appreciate so much those ratings coming in. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, those are easy ways you can support us as well. And then the other way you can support us, monetarily speaking, which is just kind of weird for Altered, but maybe if you play other TCGs, you can shop using our TCG Player affiliate link, which is linked down in the description or the show notes. And it uh, is also bit.ly slash shop TCGs. That's bit.ly slash shop TCGs. You just want to type that in. You can buy your TCGs on TCG Player, and then we get a little kickback. It doesn't cost you anything extra, and you get that awesome market price uh, that you are looking for. So, um, just remember that you can do that to support us. Thank you guys so much for your support. And now, Jordan, let's talk about rarities in Altered. Yes. 
so as some people may or may not know, uh, in this game, uh, for the rarities that we are aware of, there's going to be common, rare, and unique. Um, well, common is what you expect. It's common. Um, rares are going to be one of the ones that we're really going to dive into in a second. Uh, so I'll just kind of glaze over that right now. And then uniques, of course, uh, is one of the big bullet points on features on this game that make it really unique, which is they are one of one unique cards that are different versions of the commons. Same with the rares. The rares are different versions of the commons. So every card in this game will exist as a common. And it will also have, I think they said two to three versions of a rare, most two. likely. Two, two versions of every rare. They locked yep. it in. Okay. We got it. We're locked in. Okay, locked in at two versions of each rare. And most of the time, those two versions, one will be a color shifted version that does something similar to the original power, but you know, tuned differently for whatever that specific color will do. And then the other one will be a more powerful version of the common, generally buffing it in some way, shape, or form, whether that be reducing the cost or increasing the value you get on the card or straight up just adding another power to it. And then the uniques will be just an... They said they have algorithm to... uh, The algorithm is a mix of like an actual computer algorithm and handcrafting to create a unique card that does something similar to the original common but will do extra stuff as well and since there's going to be basically unlimited versions of every card as a unique that will just you know the your the possibilities are endless i have a hard time like explaining it because it's just it's just wild well like i'm excited to see what they're actually like gonna be like what they play like what kind of crazy uniques i open up and what everyone else opens up it's gonna be great it's really gonna capture excitement so i want to jump in and just fill in a few of the little the borders to everything because everything you said is correct but i want to just add a little bit of add a bit of a little texture and information to this so just specifically regarding set one which is called beyond the gates in set one we're going to have 162 common cards as well as 18 heroes. Now the heroes are a separate thing. So if you're if you're thinking I want a rare version of my hero, unique version of my hero, you can't get that. Okay? We just have we have 18 hero cards, 3 for each of the six factions, and then 162 commons. Uh of those 162 commons, 109 are going to be character cards, and then the rest are permanents and spells. And that's just that's an important number for what I'm going to say in a second. Um now there, like Jordan said, so there are there are two rares for every single common. And this is where the game is wild. Um, if Altered is your first TCG, then you're like, cool. If Altered is not your first TCG, the usual reaction once you actually like put those numbers in your head is, holy cow, why, there are twice as many rares as commons, which is like, obviously, that's what we said. But that means there are 324 different rares in the set to collect. And a lot of, a lot of us who are TCG players especially if you are a, if you're you're an ingrained hobby TCG player the thing that is very common it's actually I actually I don't think it was that common like a decade ago but it is like the thing that a lot of these players do now which is a, a you collect a game a new set comes out for your game and you go okay how many boxes do I need to buy to get a playset or what's the cost of a playset on the secondary market or whatever you want to do um, and you know for most games, it's going to be somewhere between like four, six to 18 boxes or whatever. Like generally actually like a pretty wide range. And it really depends on how that rarity scheme is set up. Um, so in altered, I like 
don't I don't want to scare you, but the number is really large <laughs> for this um, because getting three copies of 324 rares. Actually, you know what? I'm just going to let's let's just so we had 324 rares times three is 972 cards is what you need for a play set of rares. And what do we say? Is it 24 pack boxes? Do we have that confirmed? If I don't know if they've confirmed it. I think I think it is. So once again, you know, as usual, wonderful audience, comment with the if there's something locked in. I think it was 24 pack boxes. If it's 24 pack boxes, it's no, it's a, 36 boosters. It's 36. Okay, and they took off the the tentative on the the fact now. It's just all right. Booster box. Oh, never mind. They say probably 36. Probably okay. Okay, so it's probably 36 then. All right, so. That means that it is just a simple 27 there's, boxes on average should get you a place set of rares. You said there's three rares each pack, correct? Oh, no, there's more. Yeah, you look yeah, at this. There's three yeah, yeah. rares in each pack. That was, the, that was the key I forgot. Yep, yep. Too many different games in my head. Yep. So there, there are three rares per pack. Is that what you said? Not two? Yep. Three rares, eight commons, one slot for a hero card, and one slot for a token, which has a rate of 75% and there's a 25% chance that the token will instead be a foiler. Wow. You, you were looking at the right section of the FAQ here that I was looking at the wrong section because you have all the information. (laughs) Wonderful. Okay. Well then let me correct myself and uh, let me go ahead and I'm glad we're just getting our audience used to me needing to be corrected by you in each of these episodes. You're always there providing some sort of a, a backup for me. So um, well, in that case, then it's the, the math is simple because it's just 324 because we're already going to divide by three. Um, and we're looking at about, yeah. Okay. So on average, about nine boxes, um, with That's less three, than I was expecting. That is less than I was, that was less but than yeah. I was expecting too. But yeah, with three rares though, that makes it so much easier to get what you need. So yeah. Uh, yeah, for sure. And it's, you know, an interesting thing in TCGs, some, some TCGs treat rares, um, more like like uncommon. So there's like, if you go back to the history of TCGs, oh, well, if you go really far back, they didn't even quite have that concept of rares and uncommons. They had like different print runs on different rares and everything back in like Magic's original print and original Star Wars prints and stuff. Um, but the, the bog standard for a long time became every pack's going to have something either like nine or 11 commons or something, three-ish uncommons and one little rare in each pack. Um, some games have bucked the trend uh, Flesh and Blood does two rares per pack. Um, Final Fantasy called their uncommons rares, which, I, so at that point, you're blurring the line. I don't even know what's a rare <laughs> anymore. And then your rares are called heroes, and then you have a, a higher rarity beyond that as well, the legendaries. Um, so uh, I guess the big thing is just that, like, at the end of the day, what they're deciding is just what's the kind of average pull rate for these cards. And if you, you know, I appreciate that since they put so many rares in the set, they upped that count of that card type per pack um, to three per they pack. They kind of, I was just thinking of it. They basically, since there's no uncommon, they just pooled the uncommon and rare pools together. Yeah. Because normally you'll get two to three uncommons in a pack and then the one rare. Now you get no uncommons and instead you just get three rares. Yep. And like typically a typical layout of a TCG, you still have way, way fewer rares than you have uncommons 
or you're just, you know, again, you're getting one, one rare and several uncommons, but like, I guess in some TCGs there, you know, some TCGs, we do have like 80 uncommons and 40 rares and two uncommons per pack and one rare per pack. And like, that's, you know, that that's not really that different than if you just have a one rarity and 324 of them <laughs> per pack. Um, and the cute thing that I always like to point out to people too, because people, people, it starts to kind of click for people too, is that as you mentioned, these rares and then the unique cards, which we'll talk about in a second, um, are altered versions of the commons, right? And that this the name of the game. So that's cool. Um, so as far as how those rares work, now we have we have one rare per per card is going to be per common. I should say one rare is going to be that upgraded version, and one rare is going to be a rarity or a faction shifted version. Um, and that's I mean that's kind of interesting too, because it means that you know you're going to have 162 of these cards that are already in divided into 27 per faction, but then out of the rares you have actually exactly the same number if it's evenly divided, which I assume it, it'd be weird if it wasn't. Um, so then you're going to have 27 more cards of your faction in that rare slot that are cards that are from the other five factions. And then an additional 27 more rare options um, that are just the upgraded versions of those common cards. Uh, so... One thing I've seen, you know, some some discussion about this is that like some people have asked, you know, why why can't we combine factions? It's a very common thing, you know, you'll play Lorcana, it's like pick two ink colors and then you smash them together and you get to play that or play Magic the Gathering, you can do whatever whatever the heck you want in that game. Just all colors, no colors, it's up to you. Um in this game it's only a one faction, but the devs have stated that they find that having these rarity shifted options provides actually quite, or this, I keep saying rarity shift, this color shifted, faction shifted options, provides quite a bit of that sort of multi-faction feel um, because these are going to be cards from other factions that are trying to do something similar to the base card, you know, similar to what that card would do in that faction, but twisted in a way to work in that faction. And I just came to an epiphany while we were talking about this because it didn't dawn on me right away. I love that this game, no matter how much we dive into it, every time we talk about it, I think of something different that I didn't think of before that like is a big implication. So deck building, Dan. Yeah. So in this game, you have 39 cards plus your hero, if I yep. remember correctly. Correct. And only 15 of them can be a non-common card. So any combination of rares or uniques with a limit of three uniques Currently, I'm not sure if they locked three unique specifically in, but so, so three the is 15 the most and three have. are not locked in. Those are but okay. But I think actually when we release this podcast, they might be. I think it's I think that's coming very soon. So we'll okay. see. We'll just say let's say for intents and purposes, because that's the information we have now, it's 15 with three maximum uniques. Now, before when I was thinking about it, I was like, hey, that's cool. You're gonna choose which commons to upgrade, but the faction shifted ones do not have a common version, which means you're going to have to choose when you deck build to either beef up a card common to rare or use that rare slot to put in a card that you literally cannot put in outside of your current color. Correct. So that makes the deck, like before the deck building was already an interesting choice because it's like, oh, which of these cards do I like decide to bump to rare or unique? And now it breaks it even, even more because it's like some of these rares you have to make a concession because you literally cannot have an effect like that without 
having it be a rare because it can't be anything other than a rare for that color. Yeah, I think yes. that's really cool. Isn't that neat? And yeah, it's like I, I agree. Some some of this is like I think a really basic way to think about it is that's the first thing you said, which is that, OK, I have 15 cards in my deck. I get to bump up in their power level. So which ones am I going to pick? And the next level is also like, OK, now, which other faction abilities are better than bumping up a card, uh, a card rarity? I think an interesting thing that people are going to start to learn to do is the the value comparison. Uh because the rarity is like a cost in this game. It's in every other game. It's not you, you, you go play magic, the gathering. It's just a monetary cost in every other. game. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Yes. But like, if you, if you play magic, the gathering your deck, I, I, I also, I, by the way, I don't, for anyone wondering, I don't hate magic, the gathering at all. Um, I've, I've played it competitively for many years. Uh, Jordan hates Richard Garfield. We've, we've learned that that's been established, <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I don't hate magic, the gathering at all. And, uh, I just wanted people to, to know that because I'm going to reference it every now and then in the podcast. Um, and for good and for bad, um, it's a, it's a game that's very important to me in my history of playing games, but I don't actively play it very much anymore, except some commander. Occasionally I play some arena online. Um, so in Magic Gathering, you go and you build a deck. Your deck can be anywhere from like, look, let's be honest, competitive Magic Gathering deck is going to have a chunk of rares and or mythics in it. That's that's how it is, because they're stronger cards, which is the same in Altered. They're stronger cards in Altered, too. Um but if you want to, you can play a deck in Magic the Gathering. It's entirely rares and mythics. That's actually not ideal uh, most of the time, um, given the history of the game. There, there are good commons and uncommons. But I'm not going to say that there haven't been times where that wasn't pretty close to a competitive deck. Um, I have like a le- like legit example in my history. There was a period of the time in the game when they were just kind of starting to ramp up the power level design. It was an era called for any of our magic fans out there. It was the sort of shards of Alara into Zendikar into scars of Mirrodin era um, shards and Zendikar. I, I, uh, I built a deck that I called second mortgage, um, which, because like, like at the time they had released a card called Baneslayer angel. It was like a $50 angel. He's, she's terrible now, but <laughs> she was really good. Uh, then. Yeah. I pulled that <laughs> card in the pre-release draft as my first pack. Let's yeah. Good, go. good pull. Good pull then for sure. <laughs> they had Jace, the mind sculptor, a pretty well-known magic, uh, planeswalker who was at like, he was so expensive. It's, it's like, I swear, I think he was like 80 to a hundred bucks at one point. Um, like Shieldred is now. Um, and uh, you had Lotus Cobra, which is a card holding down thirty to fifty dollar value, I think, around then. Um, and just you had a bunch, like just a bunch of cards like that, and uh, Birds of Paradise and other things. This deck was almost entirely rares and mythics. And I, I just realized that, like, if I play green, I can play pretty much any colors I want um, with these cards. And a bunch of fetch lands, which are all like twenty to thirty dollar cards at the time. And so I just jammed. I put everything in one deck. I'm like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make any colors of mana. I'm going to play the most expensive, powerful cards in the game. And <laughs> I, I actually like was top cutting F and M's and, and I can't remember. I don't want to say I won or not, but I was like finals F and M's at least with this, just like, yeah, you just got to beat the best cards in the game. Um, <laughs> most expensive cards. in the game. That was literally the, like the meme of just like, yeah, my deck's worth more than yours. So I'm probably going to win. <laughs> um, altered. You can't do that, right? I mean, nah, I'm going to say you can't. I'm going to I'm gonna say you can't do it. I mean, there's going to be some discussion, but we'll talk about uniques more towards the end um, and what we think their impact's going to be like. But 
in altered, I can't just fill my deck with rare cards, right? So it's an actual cost. You literally like, can't I, unless you want a judge called on you. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, you'd you'd have to submit the deck list on the app, and it would be like, no, that's not a legal deck, I guess. So like that. True, I forgot. Yeah, because the deck submission, they'll know immediately. The automated system will be like, yo, this is not a legal deck. What do you do? I mean, someone looking to cheat can say can submit whatever they want, and then just fill their guess, deck yeah. with you know, um, but. Keep in mind, someone wanting to cheat in any TCG can cheat in any TCG. It is like, I one thing that's interesting, I'm going to go a little off topic um, just for a second. I find, I see a lot of people, we, we're in an era with so many new TCGs coming out and all these new TCGs are sometimes doing different things. All, not only just altered, but lots of TCGs doing different things. For example, like Star Wars Unlimited just showed their draft rules and they're kind of wonky. You have to you have to pre-open all three of your packs and then pull out a leader card from each of them to draft your leaders. Then you pull out the rest of your cards. You're supposed to not look at them. Right. So it's see wacky. a lot of it's, it's wacky. It's wacky. It's actually, it should make for a good format, but um, you know, I see people saying like, well, you know, someone can just cheat. They can look at the cards. They can just, you know, they can do this and that to cheat in the format. Okay. But like literally any TCG right now, if you have a really good card, you can put five copies in your deck. You could put six copies in your deck and you will almost never get caught. I'm not trying to condone cheating, but I'm just saying that like, it's so doable in TCGs already. And it's easy to just point out when a new game's coming out, like, oh, look, here's a new way you can cheat. Well, yeah, but like, it's not actually new that you can (laughs) find a way to cheat in a game, (laughs) you know? Um, Most TCG players don't. And then a lot of cheaters get caught when they're doing it for anything with any amount of stakes. Um, I don't think it's a huge deal uh, necessarily. It, it does. It's a little game dependent. Um, so sometimes some, some player bases are have a higher amount of cheaters. Um, I suspect altered will be a, an extremely chill chair player base. I expect. Oh, yeah. um, what was I talking about? I totally, uh, let's see. We're talking about, rarities and oh yeah 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 and second mortgage and then so in altered you players gonna have to start getting used to this idea of um there are gonna be cards that you want to run in your deck because the rare version is super good you want to run the rare version but you just can't run all of them it's not it's not possible to run all of them um and you're gonna have to start to do this really weird analysis where you go okay like is it fine for this to cost four instead of three? Is it fine for this to uh, have fleeting, you know, when I play it from reserve instead of not having fleeting like the rare version does? Is it fine for this to only draw my opponent a card instead of drawing me a card? And you have to do like, you're going to have to do these really, I'm like, I think they're fascinating, but I can see some people also like being maybe a little annoyed by like having to like think about them this this hard like is it worth more to have this card draw me a card sometimes or have this card not have fleeting when like uh, there's i can't i couldn't make those decisions right now because i think part of this is really going to come down to like when we start to get some semblance of a faction-based metagame you know like what faction is kind of performing well what faction do you have trouble with certain some of those rares will do better than other rares in certain matchups certain situations um as we've already seen, you know, just from that demo deck gameplay, we did the whole faction overview episode where we we talked about how certain factions, like, you know, if, if Izmir's removal is really good against you, then when you're playing Muna, you don't want to just anchor in on one thing because they're just going to bounce it. You want to instead go wide with Muna to, 
to make their removal less effective against you. And you're going to have to use that same analysis when looking at rares and commons. Like, sure, this draws me a card as well as you. The, I'm thinking of like Daughter of Daughter of Yggdrasil and Muna has has uh, the gift draw. Both players draw a card. Sure, it does that. But in what matchups are you, you know, like drawing cards like always good, but there's a cost to that still. And do you need to draw that extra card or are there matchups where like having that extra card, like having that extra card against Izmir is great because Izmir is pushing a lot of removal at you and you need to keep fuel going to keep to stay in the game. Um, having it against uh, Bravos might not actually matter as much because, you know, if they're winning, they're just going to win before you that extra card can even like hit the board probably. Um and uh, otherwise, you know, they're not doing much to your stuff. You may just have an, it may just end up being an extra card in your hand at the end of the game. Um, that's going to be a fascinating decision, I think. I think so too. And uh, I'm really excited to see what their rules for side decks are going to be due. Because with the limitations that you have on the constraints you have to build under, I think the side deck is going to be a very clutch thing. Because like you said, depending on your matchup, Maybe you don't need the the daughters to be rare in this matchup, so you can take the rares out, put commons in, and then swap something else to upgrade to rare that will help you in that matchup. Yeah, which would yeah, be yeah, uh, exactly. very ideal. It's it's for I think deck builders, that's going to be a super super cool world to explore. I think, and I think actually what I expect, I'm just gonna throw little bit of my speculation for kind of how I expect people to start to in the competitive side of the game. I think it's gonna be a great game for casual play too. But if you're looking at like strictly the competitive side of the game, I think this will be the kind of game where a single, well, for multiple reasons for uniques, the reason of uniques too, but a single, a single deck can't really like lock in. Like this is the stock 40 cards to run. Um, because I think any given metagame that you go to, there will be little shifts you can make on which cards are rare and which cards aren't at the minimum that will adjust your win rates against certain factions, certain types of decks, certain popular strategies. Um, let alone then, oh, but yeah, like Ortis isn't as good right now, except Jenny, she has this really, really sick charge. Uh, that well no charge can't be unique sorry only characters can be unique she has this really sick joan of arc or something and man when she gets that that has a charge ability on it (laughs) yeah sure yeah it's like when she gets that one it's it's tough to win that game like that's that's going to be the other side of things is just like individual players kind of being like well i opened three really good ordis uniques and so like i i just i win some games that i don't normally get to win (laughs) with them um, which shores up those matchups and makes it a makes so when when your metagame your metagame is not only going to be different based on like the usual factors in TCGs, which is like what do people like, what do people feel like playing, but it's also gonna be like what what uniques do people have that's drawing them into playing certain factions, what powerful abilities can I expect Jordan to play against me because I like because Jordan showed me all the cool uniques he opened, I'm like oh okay so. Yeah, your your axiom uniques are great, Jordan. So I know exactly what you're playing and stuff. Um, and how do I when I'm going to a tournament? Are there rares I want to shift in and out on their like on what's powerful and what's not? Given like, is Jordan here this week? Should I play the thing that's good against axiom? <laughs> like, I don't know. That's gonna be. It's just gonna be a crazy to explore. I think. Yeah, I'm very excited for it, and we haven't even gotten into the. You know, obviously we can't get too deep into it because we don't have any real good examples of what uniques will bring to the table. But just based off of the descriptions, the uniques are going to create a big splash as well. 
Uh, I mean, it's only three cards, but at, with with thirty nine card decks, that's a little less than ten percent of your deck. So you're there's a good chance you're going to see, you know, one to two of them every every game, unless the game just ends like really quick. Yeah, but uh, there's a good chance you will see in this you're really lucky. So they'll they'll make an impact. They'll make a splash. So. I think, yeah, I mean, I think the way that that's mathed out, it's it's probably fairly reasonable to see one to two of them in a game. I, you know, like, I think if you see one, you're like, okay, that's good. You know, I saw, I saw my one. I'm like, I'm good. If you see two, you're probably in a, in a, in a better position. But the thing, you know, there, I think there was a lot of, and there is a lot of, and there's going to be a lot of uh, people wondering, you know, how big of an impact does Jenny having a great Joan of Arc unique make on your metagame that you're playing in or the the game as a whole like are we going to see the world champions here's the question right are we going to see the world champions be the players who have what are deemed the strongest uniques jordan do you i'm just going to po- pose that to you jordan do you think that's going to be the case not having seen it i want to say no uh, mainly just because i trust the developers and given most of their staff that has been testing the game in the past like year year and a half are professional card players professional magic players i feel like they have a pretty good gauge of what would be overstepping on a unique to the point where like the unique is the reason they won kind of deal and i feel like most of the power is going to be in the rares the uniques will basically just in my mind's eye what i see happening is uniques are going to be potent but they're not going to be game breaking. Like it's not going to be like, you know, Jenny's uh, Joan of Arc is the reason why the deck is winning. It's just going to be the reason why the deck has a slight edge over X thing um, is the way I see it. Like basically in my mind, it's going to be the thing that's like this deck is a tier just slightly under S tier. And then it gets a unique and now it's able to be S tier rather than a tier below kind of deal is what yeah. I'm expecting the unique powers to be. It'll be stuff that just kind of bumps it up to be competitive or turns a strategy on that wasn't on before, but it's not going to be like this strategy goes from being useless to it kills everything automatically now is what I'm what I'm expecting anyway. Because they did say there's limitations on the algorithm and they hand go through, or I don't know if they hand go through, but like the algorithm is closely monitored to make sure the the uniques that are generated aren't going to be just obscenely broken. So I, I trust what they're doing. I think, I mean, I, I think I agree with you. Um, the uniques have a, a little bit of extra limitation. That's sort of a, it's a little bit more nuanced to them. Um, that's related to the rules of altered um, and the deck building rules of altered that, that brings them that pulls them back a little bit from being, I think that like the reason, the reason you win. Although I'm going to be honest, if worlds ends because someone plays their unique card and it's like the game winning move that turn, like that's going to be hype as as heck. That's going to be super, super cool to see that. Like just like what a headline it's like Jenny, Jenny drew her. It's like, we've seen it. We've TCG players. We've all seen that. Like, like I remember this magic game where, where, a player was had only one out left in their deck and they flipped off the top of their deck. It was the lightning helix for, they didn't even, they didn't even draw it in a hand. They're just like, this is either lightning helix or I lose in like world championship final match. And they just flipped the top card of their deck and it was helix. And they're like, I win, you know, it's going to be like that, but, but it's that exclusive card that only that person owns, which is like, yeah, that'd be so cool. But I think that 
the deck building restrictions in the game, the fact that you can only have three Joan of Arcs in your deck, regardless of what rarity they are, means that mm-hmm. even when Jenny gets that really sweet Joan of Arc, all it's doing is providing a, a, a little buff overall, like a, just a buff on a card that she already could have been, you know, playing in her deck. Like the rare Joan of Arc's really good. Like really good. You destroyed me it with so it is. in our gameplay video. It was like I got dominated by just like three Joan of Arcs in a row. And that I don't think that unique is it'd be a weird scenario, I think, for that unique to create its own archetype. It's really just going to be that like that boost on top of what is already a playable strategy when you see it and based on the rules of altered with the fact that every uh remember they're not permanents every unique is not a permanent or spell it's a character card which means that they follow the typical rules of characters which is that they go into play on one side of the expedition and then they go away um and they go to reserve and then they can come out one more time unless fleeting and anchored and all that stuff but the there are two there are two actually really important moments to that which is that you know, let's say let's say Jenny has a card that is I'm picking on Jenny today. I don't know who Jenny is, but I'm picking on her. <laughs> let's say she has a card that is a a this is a unique card. OK, Th- this is a made up unique card. They will not be like this. It is a one mana seven, seven, seven. OK, Call that's her email. unique card. You're going to draw that unique and then everyone's going to think you knew. Yeah, <laughs> he was given information. Uh, there's no way that's a unique card. But let's say that's what she has, okay? She plays that on her hero side of her expedition. And and then... It's one cost, so Ymir just bounces it to the graveyard. Well, and yeah, yeah, I mean, sure. <laughs> Someone answers it. It's it's a susceptible answer. Let's say they don't even have the answer. What, what, do you, what does your opponent do? Well, they just play the companion side. You know, it's like... And in that case, that seven, seven, seven. Yes. I mean, like, and there's situations too. They're like, she should play it at the end. Yeah. She should play it at the end of the turn, by the way, she played it wrong. She should wait it to the end of the turn and drop it somewhere. But I'm just trying to illustrate, I'm using extremes, which have counterpoints, but, but I'm using extremes to illustrate that because of the two lane nature of the game, if something very powerful shows up on one side, the opponent does always have the option of trying to avoid it, uh, on the other side. Um, and playing into it there, which is like, so it, it can be to the point where the fact that, okay, let's say, let's say more reasonably, it's a seven, 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 six drop instead of a six, 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 six drop with like the same effect or something. Okay. That one extra power will matter sometimes. That'll be like, I'm not going to lie to you. Like that one extra power is going to be like, Ooh, that was the clutch. That's what, that's what let me win there. But some other part of the time it, that it could have been a five, five, five. It could have been a four, four, four. And the opponent was going to play around it the same way, like avoid it and just, you know, do whatever. Yeah, exactly. Cause like there's those moments where you have limited resources yourself. You can play one, maybe two characters. And if the opponent drops something like that in your head, if they dropped any more than like a four, four, you had already lost that lane anyway. So the fact that it's a seven, seven, seven literally means nothing. Cause you're like, Oh, well, even if it was the common version of that card, I lost to it regardless. But like you said, sometimes that one extra power will be like, oh, I'm one away now. They won. I think so in I think in our Bravos versus Izmir game, I think it was my rare Bravos tracer that was like had the per- like there's the perfect stats to push over. Yeah. So like sometimes it's sometimes it's gonna happen. But 
the you know the big difference between this and other games is like like I said the two lane system which gives the player a, a potential counterplay either way no matter what comes up where they can just okay I'm just gonna I'm just gonna avoid it I'm gonna go the other side it also and the characters are fairly temporary yeah that's the you other only side. have to deal with it for a limited amount of time it's not something like magic where if a magic player drops a seven seven for one not only is that probably gonna murder you this turn you have to deal with it until it's dead yeah good luck in this game. <laughs> You're like, well, I lost that lane this turn, but that's not the end of the game. I can recover from this. And once it's gone, it's gone. Yep. There's only one copy of that unique. You don't have to be like, oh, there's two more coming. It's, it'll just be like, all right, it's out of the way. I don't have to worry about it. So I think it feels to me like a like a perfect a perfect balance. I, I certainly want to play some of it, you know, really get into it and feel it out. But it feels to me like a really nice balance of like, when you see your uniques, it's going to be spice. What if if a unique card wins worlds? That's going to be that's going to be so hype. But when your opponent sees it, I don't think it's going to feel like I just can't win this game. This is impossible to win. They're too powerful. It's not. I think really when we get down to what deck's going to like win worlds, it's going to be whoever is making the best faction call at the time. And and I think the more impactful choice is those. 12 rare cards. If you're assuming you're running three uniques, those 12 rare cards, which cards you decided to make rare rather, because those are the cards you're going to see a lot more of those rares per game than your uniques. You see a lot more of them. So the more of those you're seeing that are tweaked towards the, the strategy and maybe the matchups that you expect to need those in the better your advantage is going to be compared to just getting to play that unique every couple of games, you know? For sure. And the rares also, like I said, they provide options that you literally couldn't have normally played. So I feel like they as well, in addition to just being more numerous, I can even see a world where like it might be fairly common to have people optionally just run no uniques and just because the rares, the three extra rares instead of the three uniques for their particular deck and what they're going for might just be better at the time. Sure, within time, you know, as the game's out there and the all the uniques start really being cracked into, there's a chance I'll be like, oh, this unique does what my rare does just slightly better and does something different. I'll play that. But uh, it'll probably be fairly common to not run the full three uniques because, you know, that extra rare card or that extra two or three rare cards is going to be more impactful in the long run. Well, I think the other thing that'll make it common is that you're going to open up a box and have 90 uniques or 90 rares and you're going to have what four four uniques or whatever so like it'll actually like we say i think at like the competitive level players who want to play that competitively will will seek out the best uniques that they that they want for their deck and try to maximize the value of their card slots a lot of the time but i agree that there will be there are potential times where it's like I mean, I just like the unique just isn't out there yet. <laughs> it's it's there. The unique I need isn't here. So, but like instead, I could put this faction shifted card in, and that's like super good. So, this is a really good segue. Let's before we end our podcast here, I just want to go through. We've seen a few early spoilers of cards. Yes. I am not positive these are a hundred percent locked in. I'm just I'm throwing that out there right now. I don't know if they are. Uh, but I don't think they they're locked in. They they seem I, close. I, don't think so either. I wouldn't be surprised if some of them changed slightly. Yes, but let's oh, talk about also, them. Oh, as we as we show the pictures, another feature that's you know competitive wise doesn't matter, but for everyone else does, um, that makes it cool as well is the common rare and the uh, unique versions of all these cards 
the art is also altered. Yeah, altered. It has the there same is. feel, but the art itself will actually change with the rarity as well, making it easier to spot on the table. And it gives that extra flair to those cards, which I think is also really cool. Yes. And, and you know, I, I mentioned collectors earlier on, but like that's, I think people who are approaching this game who like collecting cards are going to probably, if, if they like the art, I mean, the artwork in this game is incredible, obviously. Um, and getting to collect that artwork and get foilers of cards and foil artwork that you like is certainly something that I think collectors will be able to chase. Um, collecting uniques, I expect to also be an interesting hobby. I like, you always see those, those people there's, there's people out there in the TCG world who are like, I really like frogs and I collect frog cards. I actually, someone, I, someone I, I talk to a lot as I said, I send her frog cards every time I see weird frog cards because she just loves them. So, um, she's uh, from the grand archive community too. Um, so, uh, I'm gonna have to send her the frog prince, actually the artist card when, uh, when we, when we start getting some yeah, cards too. frog prince. Um, but yeah, people are, people have things they like, and I expect to see like, let's like uh, someone who collects frogs might want to say, if you get a frog prince unique, I want it. I want to collect that. I want to own that card and I want to print off copies. I want to foil it out. I want to do all that stuff. Um, so I think we, we, it sounded like in a previous podcast, we made an insinuation that collectors are not going to be a part of this game. And I'd certainly did not mean to insinuate that, but I think the, how we go about collecting this game might be a little different because you're going to have a digital collection. You're going to have, you're going to have foilers that you apply to things. You're going to have, you can have a physical collection of things too. And people are just going to have to like every collection, people decide what the parameters of their collection are. The parameters. There will be no complete sets out there. (laughs) Yes. You can't collect unique sets, but like, I I really want to get that parameter idea in people's heads because like you, anytime, if you have someone who likes to collect uh, their favorite anime that they release a Weiss Schwartz set for or something, right? You have, you have people uh, collecting the attack on Titan Weiss Schwartz or something. Their parameter might be, I want every card with Aaron Yeager on it or something, right? In altered, you're just going to have to dis- adjust what your parameters are. Instead of collecting every physical card with something on it, maybe you want to own digital cards. Maybe you want to get a unique foilers and apply them to unique cards. I don't know. It certainly are collectibles, though, and and buying packs is going to be one of the key ways to get those. Just like just like every other TCG. Um, okay. Anyway, so we're going to look at four different cards that they've shown off today, and we're just going to talk a little bit about what these rare versions are like and what may, and maybe just a little bit about some of the, some of the choices that go into these. Um, some of these are kind of covered up still too, which is unfortunate, but we can still basically read what they say. So we're, we're just going to go with whatever we can see on them. Uh, first one we're going to look at is actually Jordan's background artwork on the podcast, which is going to be the Ouroboros Lyra Bastion, um, which, which I love Jordan's Jordan's a Lyra fan. And it's a really, it's really cool. I love the like snake eating its tail. It's, it's very, yeah, it's very creative. Um, I hope that there, there's a, the unique art since we haven't seen the unique art. We probably did, but when we were looking at the binders, we weren't honed in on specific cards yet. I hope yeah. the unique art it has the snake actually like with the tail in its mouth. Oh, that'd be cool. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the rare art on this one. So I have it. I should have it up on the screen now. The, the rare art on this one is actually like a a nighttime setting with a nice little glow happening going on. It's really neat. Um. So the basic card, now this is actually a card that changed from the print and play. It's now a four cost card um, and said, if you should roll a die, roll an additional one and ignore the result of your choice. Same effect as usual. 
Um, I'm not, I don't think we're going to go into detail on the impact of that change from three to four. Uh, I don't think we necessarily need to do that. Uh, but the rare version is down to three cost again. Um, and that appears to be the only change we can tell in the effects of the card. They, the text is covered up, but I really don't think it I says roll. That's all it is. Yeah. I really don't think. Wait a second. Hold on. The text is a little weird. You can see that it says dice peeking out at the top instead of roll N. If you should. Huh. I don't it know. It could also just be the like they changed the, the verbiage of it. But I... yeah, it, it could be adjusted wording or something um on that card so i am not sure i guess we're not sure if it's the same effect at three cost that's plenty for the rare anyway because this card is really good at three cost Mm -hmm. because that's about the turn you'd be planning to play it anyway because turn one and two you need to get some sort of board presence turn three is probably when you'll have the extra mana to play a creature and a permanent and get away with it that's really the struggle like right now i feel like in our you know we talked about this but in those print and play games being able to turn two play a roboros and then play out uh the gambler or whatever out of memory to keep board presence is like kind of the way to do it and the rare version will still let you do that um but if you if you keep with the common version now you have to wait an extra turn to enable something like that um what do you do you have any thoughts, Jordan, on when you feel like playing the like are there are there times when do you think do you think the rare is a slam dunk? Or can you see situations where you would build a deck and be fine with the common version of this? I could definitely see situations where you're fine with the common version of this. Um I could also see situations where um the rares don't all have to be used and in the same card. So I could see a situation where you run like two of the common and one of the rares. Hmm. Um, something like that so just when you do draw it you're like cool i can play it early and when you don't you just wait um That's just high because level like tech. i said yeah and i mean you heard it here obviously first, obviously as you optimize that probably won't be the most optimal but like uh it, it'll help you help you decide whether or not that three cost is important because you'll draw it at times and be like if this was three cost i'd be able to make some plays here and then that's you can make that mental change and then upgrade it um yeah, yeah, I, was I wouldn't gonna... say it's like a it wouldn't be a necessary thing because like I said, turn three or four is about when you want to play this, assuming things are going your way. So it being four cost isn't the end of the world. I was gonna note that um I think it depends on the costs in the of your of your characters and the rest of your deck. If you if you build with a lot of lower costs in mind, um you can get away with a more expensive Ouroboros because you're more often going to be able to to dump it out there um, and still keep board presence. It's the big, the big struggle with the permanence is that you have to give up board presence. That's why Axiom gets to play them so readily because they get the brass bug when they play the permanent. Um, yeah. And another thing to note is um, the high cost versus low cost might also depend on the hero you're playing because the only hero we've seen the effect for obviously has a die roll in it. There might be a Lyra hero that does not use a die in its base effect meaning you only want it in there for the other effects in your deck so and later those game cost play. yeah so those cost more to do so you might not even need it right away because it's not an every turn use it's a you use it for your all in which is only going to happen late in the game yeah. you'll use it for your asthma day that comes out so like that's also a five cost so like you won't need it in the beginning, depending on how you're building your deck or what the hero ability is. So. Guys, listen to Jordan here with the with the hot tech the things you want to be thinking <laughs> about when you're looking at your deck building. That's 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 fascinating. Let's talk about the Axiom version of this, which is yes, um, yeah. So so this is shifts from Lyra to Axiom, 
and it maintains the three cost of the rare version. Um, that's not going to be a trend, actually. It's going to be a tr- we're going to talk about that in a second when we look at some of these other ones. But the effect the effect is still if you would do something, double it. But it's different. It's a- very axiom oriented instead. It now has when you uh, or sorry, this is at the the start of your turn, right? Oh, sorry, this is it's kind of covered up in my picture here. Is that uh, when you I play think it? it's just the arrow, which means it's when it's played. From OK, anywhere. yeah. So the picture yeah, I'm looking at has a red box covering it and I wasn't able to see. It very well. Yes, that's what I thought. When you play it, you resupply, which is take the top card of your deck, put it in your reserve. But it says so it's actually not what you do here, because it says if you would resupply instead, look at the top two cards of your deck, put one in your reserve and discard the other. And yes. Jordan, you played a lot of Axiom. How do you feel about this effect in that deck? I like it, and I love that it's three cost because a you can get the resupply like right away, and once it does a thing, it's good because normally you have you'll you'll play the 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 capacitor first. I think it is the one that lets you get charges. Keylon cylinder. Keylon cylinder. It looks like a little capacitor. So yeah. in my head, it's it's the capacitor, um, and then you'll try to transition into either using some jammers at when needed. Um, but then the next big permanent you're going to want to play as you're building up in mana is the one that resupplies you at dawn every single turn. And this costs one less than that, which means the turn before you do that, you place this down, you get your bug, you get to resupply and put stuff in there. And there's a lot of good stuff in Axiom that are cheaper in resupply or do a better effect in resupply that you want them there anyway. Uh, finding finding have, Athena's with this. hard cast it. Oh, it's going to be so good. Ooh. Especially yeah, yeah, yeah. if you drop the factory next turn, and then every turn you're basically scrying two and putting one in your virtual hand, if you will, which uh, is just so good. <laughs> yeah, this the fact that it's three two means it's turn one playable. Um, I mean, I know, like you're right. When yeah. you play Keylon Cylinder, you actually get to play to both lanes on turn one. Keylon Cylinder with the brass bug to one lane, and then play something uh, a character to the other lane, but. Being able to get this down on turn one, still put a brass bug out to still compete or win in a lane, and then immediately get another card in your reserve to be able to, you know, play with next turn and everything. Later. Yeah. This this is a card now where when you play this over a card in your rare slot is when I think when you really when you're like really using resupply quite a bit, you you wanna this is gonna take up your rare slot because like obviously this makes your resupplies insane it makes them sick um yeah and my assumption is because again you have to think of the heroes at play here we only have things from one there's two other heroes uh my guess based on the art this is just a a wild speculation no (laughs) one quote me on this but the second for the 2024 i think it's like treist and rossum um it looks like a like a like snow based like santa robot i think uh but I feel like they could be resupply based and maybe instead of spawning a bug, they do some resupply shenanigans or maybe the first, again, wild speculation here. The first card you resupply a turn gets reduced in cost. So then you could mm. maybe play this, pick something and then cast it for cheaper or something crazy like that. Yeah. Um, I'm so excited to see more heroes and, and start to understand same. what some of the, like the first archetypes they were building into the game are. Yeah. Um, as well. Okay. Let's, uh, let's move on though. That's, that's plenty on that one. Uh, very cool. Like, just fun to talk about the different versions of that the next one we're going to look at is uh let's go back to axiom we got ada lovelace Lo- Lo- lovelace lovelace how do you how do i pre- this is a real world person and i'm just i'm i'm a complete luddite and i don't know how to say her name correctly <laughs> i would say it's lovelace lovelace 
Probably. Um, or maybe it's like some weird pronunciation. Like she, she, now, I, I don't think that's right. I, I, I mean, it could be. I don't know. Um, I do know that this person, she is, I know she was a pioneer of computing in some way. That's all I know about her, though. I'm, I'm not a history buff. So once again, if you're a big, if you're a big Ada Lovelace fan, comment down below with the history of her because that'd be so fascinating. Um, cool to see her. I love seeing like you see like real historical people in this game as well, which is kind of neat. Um, so her her common version is a two cost two from reserve one three one. When played from memory, you may put a card from your hand uh, in reserve if it's a permanent draw card. Okay. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's kind of rad. She's you're just going to put her out early. And then, uh, when you play her again, you can then put a card into reserve. It, the cool thing about permanence is that when you play them out of reserve, they don't get fleeting, right? So you kind of want to stuff a permanent in there anyway. It's just like, it's playable still. It just takes up your reserve slot and you get a draw card, which is nice. Mm -hmm. Uh, the rare version now. She is a, uh, she's still a two, two. She's a one, two, one. So she actually had a reduction in one of her stats, but I think that's warranted because now the ability is you may put a card from your hand in reserve and then you just draw two cards, right? Oh no, two draw a card. It's just two draw a card. Sorry. It was again, a blurry picture Two draw a card. So it doesn't matter what it is. You can just put anything in and draw a card. To draw a card. Yes. If this is draw two cards, I was like, this is insane. If you have um, five mana, you can do that. Put a, a whatchamacall in reserve and then play her immediately and she loses fleeting and you'll pog off. This is a rare where... Actually, what I, the, I thought it was more warranted when I thought it said draw two cards before I actually looked a little closer to draw a card. And it this, might say something slightly different because like, it is very blurry and it's half covered up by the card. We, we can see the flavor text underneath though. And I've zoomed in and I, it's, that's what it says. That's what it says. As far as I could tell. Cause I, I mean, the thing about the, the, I mean, again, no, no, I'm going to back up because as you pointed out earlier, we're very used to the brass bug build, right? Yeah. But the, the reserve focused resupply focused axiom build like this allows you to put Athena right into your reserve to play the cheap version of Athena on the next turn. Mm -hmm. No, no, never mind. Nope. I'm back on. I'm back on board. I'm back on board. This yeah. card's sick. Because you get to, yeah, turn turn one, Ada, and then another another character to just to fight in your two lanes. Just if you could get her in a lane, you drop her second so you can find a lane where that two mountain actually helps you win. So you're not actually penalized by being lower. And then you drop Athena in reserve. Rare Athena or whatever. So I think she's is she she's three? Three or she, it doesn't matter if she's three or four, because then on turn two, you play her out of reserve and then you just start dominating on one of the yeah. lanes. And uh, the, the fact that this removes the permanent thing leads me to believe that there is probably at least one Axiom hero that doesn't do anything with permanents. Like yeah. maybe they do stuff with like the engineer subtype or something like that. So they're more focused on like casting a bunch of like hard casting characters, probably from reserve in this case. Yep. Uh, I agree. And that would obviously, I mean, like that would obviously super, super value up her. Um, yep. And then uh, the 
the swapped version oh, is, uh, is cool. becomes a, a Yzmir card, 2-2, two, 1-3-1, two, one, one, and instead you may put a card from your hand into reserve. If it's a spell card, you draw a card, which the same shenanigans as we mentioned above, there's a handful of good Yzmir cards that are cheaper to cast, and a lot of them have fleeting as it is, so they go away the second you cast them the first time. So being able to cast them out of reserve for slightly cheaper when they're going to be one-time use anyway is just value. Yeah. Um, the Exactly. The the like the one-time use thing is exactly what I thought of when I saw this card. Uh, it's a, This is a really cool variation of a swap where um, it's just, you know, it's just taking the exact same effect but applying it to a card type that is more applicable in Izmir. Izmir has trouble right now just committing things to the board. Um, so the fact that you can just kind of make this a one, three, one effectively just draw a card, as long as it doesn't impact you that that spell, uh, goes to reserve, like you said, when it already banishes itself, um, makes it, I mean, a, a value card that is going to be an easy consideration, uh, competing for that slot. Cost of two, you could probably still cast that spell and it would have been the same, whether it's casted from hand or not. Cause like I said, Yzmir has a lot of spells that are fleeting so much so. The next card we're going to look at is a great candidate for that. Oh, yeah. Uh, Oh, sorry. I lost my thing here. It's coming back up. It's coming back up. Hang on. All right. Yes, here we go. So this is going to be Gift of Self. Okay, Gift of Self. I have a lot to say about this card. Uh, This is a two-cost, two-from-reserve spell, which is fleeting. So perfect card to tuck in with Ada if you want to. Uh, oh man, what a combo with Ada! Actually, this is this is yeah, just card card draw city if you want it to be. <laughs> yep, uh, and has sacrifice a character to draw two cards. Um, now, people who are just getting in the game might wonder, okay, but yeah, you like don't you need characters to win the game? That typically is a thing you need to do. Very very cool implications of this card and altered once again. Think about the two lane system. Think about the hero and companion sides. Think about how. All those games where you're going to put something onto the hero side and then your opponent's going to put things on the hero side and you go, well, now I can't beat them. Okay, well, that character's not doing anything. If you're if mm-hmm. the character doesn't win any awards, if it doesn't win second place by chilling there, if it's completely beat on all three or whichever ones you care about, uh, the biomes. So pay two mana, sack it, draw two cards instead. Get the value. Another cool thing, if a character has an on-play ability, one of my favorite things in trading card games that gets me so pumped is abusing on <laughs> abusing things, abusing <laughs> on-play abilities. Um, play the character, get the effect, sack it, goes to reserve, play it play again, again, get the effect again. I mean, value town. How fun is that? And the rare version just costs one more and allows you to draw three cards which is insane yeah 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 two for two or three for three with a single card like that's that's something where i think if you're newer to card games that's a that's a more nuanced analysis to get why like that is worth more than you would think you know if you 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 might think if it's paid two mana to get two cards that's fine pay three mana to get three cards that's exactly the same it is definitely not because the uh, the other cost is the card in hand that you're playing the card itself now generates plus two cards from your previous hand size where previously it was just generating plus one. That's massive. Yeah. And like just for reference, cause I know a lot of people know magic and you correct me if this has changed Dan, cause mm-hmm. I haven't been in the magic space for a while, but 
For an analogous, there's cards that cost three in magic that are deemed pretty good and or useful that do an effect that you draw three cards and then discard two. This is just draw three and keep all of them, which is the same cost effectively. And again, they're totally like the games are very different, but the costs for like power as far as a spell like this goes is pretty analogous in both games. So like a card that literally just doesn't have the discard two after that costs basically the same. Like if this was a magic card and you could pay three to draw, that'd be in every single deck that ever had that color ever. If it was just pay three to draw three. Now this does have the sacrifice of character, but in a game yes. like magic, sacrificing some a creature on board is actually a lot more relevant than in altered because in altered you have, True. you have the two lanes. I already talked about that. I like you can sack something from a lane where it doesn't matter. You have the fact that the character is going to die anyway, not die. Sorry. is going to be banished. is going to go to go to reserve anyway, which sometimes plays into things, but you also have the fact that every character gets to get played a second time already from the reserve. So you're not, just losing the thing permanently you're just shifting it out for that turn and instead you are permanently getting three more cards in your hand uh yeah. with a rare version which is which is massive and now when you get to do things like resupply this into your reserve or put it into your reserve with ada and then still play it out there and it doesn't matter because that fleeting either way it was going to have to get banished from his plate either way whoa oh the value the value i love value and you know what yeah. else i love about value the neck, the, the version swap. The, so the, the faction shifted one, which is in Ordis. It's the exact same card as the common version. Exact same card as common, but it's blue. But that means that it gets to go into a faction that readily has tokens all over the place, often fighting battles that they can't win. It, or it fighting is, battles that they are not going to lose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. Even if you sack it. Yep, it doesn't matter anymore. Exactly. It's that's such a cool faction swap because it's like the, nothing about the cards effect changed, but the context of how it's played changed, changed. And that's, Ooh, it's going to be, that's going to be a good card that you're going to oh, be yeah. looking at in Ordis decks quite a bit. You're going to be thinking about that card a lot, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the final one we're going to look at, this is actually a pretty nifty card too. I'm actually, I'm really pumped about this because I, there's, I think there's a lot to say about this card actually, even though it looks a little unassuming. So we're looking at Jin. Jin is a Bravos, four cost, three out of reserve, four, four, zero. And uh, I'm fairly certain this nothing, uh, we, we actually know, I know what this text is because the rare version has gold when text changes and this is all black. So when I leave the expedition zone, you may put me into my owner's mana orbs exhausted. I think this card is already, the common is already really good. I don't oh, know, Jordan, yeah. how do you feel? We haven't, we hadn't really seen this card at all. It wasn't, yeah. How do you feel about Jin's common? I like the common version and I can definitely see it. The ramp there is, it's pretty sick and it's a four, four. Um, it has zero in water, but I mean, you, you, you just don't play it in a water. Area. Right, right, right. You, the, the, you are already just going to play this where those stats are relevant. And then when it leaves, you have the option. You can either send it to reserve or you can put it in your mana orbs and it will, if it goes to your mana orbs, it stays in your mana orbs. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but that is a, it's, those are relevant stats Four is actually quite a bit, but those are still relevant stats. Um, that then will ramp you into the next turn. Meaning if you played this with all four of your mana on turn two, on turn three, you're rocking six mana 
if you drop one out of hand now. Um, but it's a fascinating card to talk about because what you lose if you do that off of the first play is you lose getting to play it a second time for cheaper out of reserve, right? Mm-hmm. And it's something that takes getting used to in this game, but every card, every character gets is two cards. And when you start to, you know this if you get sabotaged a bunch, but when you start to lose those reserve cards, you actually run out of your hand fairly quickly, um, quicker than you'd like at least. So there's an interesting cost to this card, but I still think I still think that's very, very good because ramping can can get you quite a, a that's the that's the one advantage that actually accrues turn after turn, unlike your position on the board. Um and so that's that's fairly big. But the rare version, Jordan, what's the rare version do? Before we get to that, real quick, I just want oh. to touch on another reason this card I think is very good is it's it's text it, it doesn't say like when this you know goes to reserve or whatever it's just whenever it leaves so that means for any reason if your opponent tries to bounce it oh. you can decide to make that choice if you bounce it you can make that choice it doesn't care if it has fleeting either so you could play it once then play it second time and then when it leaves on that second time then tuck it into mana so it has it has such much more flexibility and it's like then your opponent's like, do I want to give them an extra mana this turn so they, like, so I can get rid of this creature, or are they gonna not do that? Now it does uh, go yes. in exhausted, so they don't get the mana that turn. I just want to clarify that. But it's an yes, it's sorry. An, it's an interesting choice. Now you put the opponent in a, in a bit of a pickle, especially if they're playing something like Izmir. They have a lot of removal. They're like, oh, four four. I'll just remove it. Well, actually, <laughs> it's not as good. Yeah, the rare one. If you decide not to do it on that play where I said you could just play it as the second time, if you don't, you draw a card. And again, since this doesn't care about fleeting, that means you could potentially draw two cards if you don't need the mana. Yep. Yeah, if exactly. You don't, or specifically if you don't need the ramp, because you could always draw this card, and then on the next turn, use that card to put into mana if you don't need it. It gives you the it gives you options. Now, this card is a really good example of some of that sort of deck building choice we were talking about earlier that you're going to be looking at, because... I think there are going to be decks who they their game plan, their strategy from the outset is going to be when I on turn two, I play Jin because then on turn three, I do this and this with my six mana. Okay. And Atlas and training it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, you can do that. Um, but if you're doing that, then having the rare version in your deck actually isn't a huge benefit outside of more niche scenarios for the end of the game, because the rare version on a typical play pattern that you're going to plan for is going to be play it, send it to reserve, draw a card, play it again, then maybe send it to mana orbs or something. So you have to actually actively want to do that sort of play pattern with it. Um, or just be like thinking about your end game when the ramp doesn't matter anymore to then Mm -hmm spend that cost of upgrading that rare to bring this rare in. I think the rare is very good, but I think it's a really good, it's a good point to look at and go like, well, you know, I can see where there are going to be scenarios where I'm, I'm totally fine with what the common does based on what my deck is doing. And I don't need to play that rare version. Yeah, for sure. And then the, the color shifted one is of course in Lyra. Yes. Which I think is great because one of the, or in the, in the demo deck anyway, one of the struggles that Lyra has is drawing cards. So having, or not drawing cards, um, having mana, because there's a lot of potent cards that are high cost. Mm-hmm. Being able to boost that to do it, or the card we saw previously, the Ouroboros. 
being able to just stuff another mana early on will free you up to play that and still play your power creature without having to give up the ability to play something because you'll have that extra mana floating to push that out. There's an extra bit of context to this, which is that we, when we did the demo at Gen Con, we saw a different Lyra leader who hasn't been brought back. They haven't brought that one back in a little bit. We don't know what its final version of its ability is, but that Lyra leader, that Lyra hero had benefits when you played characters that had a zero in their stat line. Um, oh yeah. So I, this, this gin makes a lot of sense here because it has that zero in that stat line. And then, like you said, you know, provides a benefit that I think Lyra, oh, I forgot about that. Interesting. Yeah. So there's a, there's an example of, of the leader is really going to determine whether or not this card is more impactful for you. Like we were talking about with Ada and everything. So, and also it's, it's, you know, the ramp on its own is already good enough reason too. Yep. Yeah, so there so those are some of the cards that we've seen spoiled so far and then just kind of an analysis I guess of how how we think that this, the rarity plays into things, a little bit of insight as to when we think you're going to make some of those choices. Um, it's going to be it's going to be tough, Jordan. It's going to be deck building is going to be agonizing in some ways, I think. Uh, I'm very game. pumped for it. I'm I'm super pumped as well. Um, and I like knowing that uh, it's only going to be a, a small nine boxes to get a place like that's a lot. Nine boxes is a lot. And, and don't expect everyone certainly to buy that. But the cool thing is three rares per pack. It shouldn't be too hard. I think it shouldn't be too hard to get all the rares you're looking for to build your deck. You'll have the app to order to, to buy cards from and then order prints. You'll be able to trade cards with your friends. Um, I think it'll, I think it'll be I think it'll be a good time. How are you feeling about our rarities, Jordan? Uh, I'm uh, very excited. I'm pumped both to open my own stuff to see what I get, um, but also just to kind of see what's coming as the the month evolves. There's going to be a lot of info dropping. We're going to get to sink our teeth into it and check out all of the different uh, color swaps and buffs that'll happen on the different rare cards and hopefully dive into some of the uniques that we might see absolutely well, but as the day comes to a close those were our fleeting thoughts thanks for watching and we hope to see you guys in two weeks for another podcast bye everyone mm-hmm.